So here we have uh, a guy here who he wasn't supposed to win the gold. He wasn't even really supposed to be there. When you read his autobiography and how he even made it to the Olympics, he was such a disappointment. Uh, he, when he was playing by himself, and he was very a very fast racer, but when for some reason when he was around competition, he'd always get tripped up. He'd always fall. He'd always get slid into the wall. He just he had trouble in the pack. So in his semifinal round, just to enter into this last uh, Olympic gold medal game, his t tactic was I'm going to stay in back and let them then let them bump into each other and let that be my one chance to get in. Because every time he tried to get in, he didn't quite have the skill on the skates to avoid other people. And sure enough, on the, la on the second to last semifinal round, two guys got knocked into each other, slid to the wall, and that made him squeeze into second place to make it to the gold medal round. And he said he used the same technique in the last round. He said, I'm going to stay in back, and I'm just going to hope for the best. And uh, although, if you notice at the very end, he was falling pretty far behind. So even just trying to avoid people, he was still having a bit trouble keeping up with the top competitors. He wasn't supposed to win. He wasn't supposed to be there. He was from a country that doesn't have snow. I have a wife who's from that country. She says they call it the snowy mountain. It's basically the only mountain in all of Australia that actually has snow. And uh, they used to go there once a year or so, but it was like a seven or eight hour drive to get there from Sydney. And, uh, and it's much less impressive uh, for people to actually even want to ice skate to being an Australian. It was an, it, it was an improbable situation from an improbable person that led to an improbable win. But he did win. We come to our passage here in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And we are here looking at an improbable person. Uh, here we have Israel having now just told Samuel they want a king. And Samuel, you read his... Uh, his speech to Israel, he, he warned them, he pleaded with them to take this back. This is not the way to go. Don't be like other nations. Just let, but the problem is Samuel's kids were just as wicked as Eli's kids. And Israel saw this and Israel saw the other nations and they just, they wanted that. They wanted a king. And so a king God would give them. And we come here to 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. The Bible says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Now skip down to verse 9. Saul give, Samuel gives all these things to, to, Samuel, or to, to Saul. He anoints him king. And then we come to verse 9. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Saul did not have what it took to be the king of Israel. God had to intervene here, and the Bible says he gave him another heart. 
I want us to look at a couple of things about the life of Saul. And the situation around Saul is quite an improbable one. So I want us to consider, first of all today, an improbable person. Saul was an improbable person. He was a guy, the Bible says, his dad tells him, hey, I lost some donkeys, I need you to go out there and look for them. Saul says, yeah, sure, no problem. So he and his, his buddy, his servants, they start traveling, and they're just looking for donkeys. Nothing was special was supposed to happen that day. The greatest thing that could have happened to him was what? What do you think it would have been? Just to find the donkeys, right? In his mind, that's the greatest thing, right? If we can go out there and find these donkeys, oh, my dad's going to be so happy. He's going to be so proud. That's all he wants, find these donkeys. But instead, he, uh, he runs into Samuel, the seer. And in his mind, he thinks, oh, wait, if we could just ask Sam, maybe Samuel could tell me where my donkeys are. Not realizing, of course, that God has orchestrated all of this and even told Samuel the night before that, hey, some guy's going to come uh, looking for some donkeys, and I want you to annoy him king. God, you want me to annoy some random guy king? Yeah, I, I know. It sounds crazy, Samuel, but just trust me on this, okay? And sure enough, it happens. Samuel, Saul comes to Samuel saying, hey, uh, I lost some donkeys. Can you uh, ask the Lord, show me where those donkeys are? And Samuel says, why don't you come up with me, have some dinner, and uh, I, I got something a little better for you. Saul was just, he was a nobody. And in fact, if you go back to chapter 9 and look in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, the son of Bekorath, the son of uh, Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul. He was a choice young man, a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Now, if you skip down to verse 20, when the actual anointing takes place, the Bible says in verse 20, uh, Saul now is, Samuel is talking to Saul, and this is what Samuel says in verse 20, And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? So Saul is a little taken back here. Saul just asked him, hey, where's my donkeys? And Samuel says, oh, don't worry, they're found. Why, what it, and Samuel basically says here, this is in my interpretation, Lord, what's the big deal with this guy? <laughs> Why is this the guy you've chosen? This, this is a question mark here. Is, not, is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? Saul is confused here. He doesn't know what's about to happen. Saul's answer is, am I not a Benjamite? of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Saul had no idea he was about to be anointed king of Israel. Who is Saul? Saul's from, really, the smallest tribe. If you were to read a couple of chapters prior, you would see something happens. There was a war between Benjamin and uh, um, and a couple of the other tribes, and Benjamin gets completely destroyed, basically. I mean, the Bible even says there was, there was down to, I think it was down to almost 600 people left in Benjamin. 
And for sake of time, we don't have time to go there. I think it's in chapter 7. Benjamin had just gone through a really nasty little civil war. There wasn't a lot of people left. It were a small tribe. It was a small amount of people. Not only that, but Saul talks about his father. He's, we're not a popular family. Nobody knows who we are. We're, we're not really anybody uh, special or, or significant. If you go back to verse 1 in chapter 9, the only thing we really find about Saul's parents, his dad, it says in the end of verse 1 in chapter 9 that he was a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice man and goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Notice the colon there. So it's continuing that statement. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So the only thing mentioned here about Saul, positive, is that he was a good-looking guy. He was tall and strong. So he, outwardly, he was apparently a very good-looking guy. He was goodly. The Bible actually calls another king of Israel this. Do you know who it is? Yeah, David, right? The Bible actually says David was, had a goodly countenance, if you read in later chapters. So Saul was, from the outside, the guy you would want as a king. He was tall, he, had, he was good-looking, and when studying, trying to figure out uh, Kish here, he, the Bible says he was a mighty man of power, and I believe what's being alluded to here is he was just a uh, similar uh, physique and visage as his son Saul. Not necessarily that he had lots of wealth or fame, but that he was uh, a strong man. He was also perhaps tall. He had uh, perhaps also a, a good-looking guy. He, was, he had good physical features about him. This is the Saul we have. Not much is known about him. Not much is said about his character, except that yeah, he's a good-looking guy. He's... He, he, he's, he's young, he's strong, and he's healthy. Now, to be a king, to be a prime minister, to be a president, um, do we measure this person based on what they look like on the outside? No. Uh, the outside has very little. It, it, it's a bonus, you know, if you've got a young, you know, whatever, good-looking president or prime minister. Sure, it's a bonus. But he's voted on based on his integrity. Of course, politics and integrity, I know those are two different things there. But that's what we're, we're trying to guess, right? When, we, when we're voting, we're trying to guess, I think this guy is going to get us where we need to go. I feel like this guy has the same values or close, closer values that I do. We don't really care about what they look like. We care about the kind of person they are. That's not what's talked about here with Samuel, excuse me, with, with Saul. All we know is that he's just a, a tall, good-looking guy. He was an improbable person for the situation. It doesn't really give a lot of indication if Saul was, or his dad was, uh, politic he had political power, if Saul understood the po uh, po politics of the day. Nothing is given of that. We don't really know much about it. Only thing mentioned of Saul is that he was a good-looking guy, which basically means he probably wasn't your first choice to be king. You probably would have chosen maybe a Levite, somebody who's uh, around Samuel, who's had practice judging people, practice overseeing. We know that Saul wasn't a real popular uh, guy because if he was real prominent in, in, in the tribe of Benjamin, 
he, he probably would not have been the one running around looking for a donkey or two. If Saul was a real high prominent person, Saul probably would have just told his servant to do it. But Saul was just, or no, he was just a guy, just a guy that existed. I think many of us today, we are, find ourselves in Saul's case. We're, we're not, no, nobody really knows us in the world. You could even look at our college. Our college isn't well known around the world. And we do our best to advertise. And I think more and more every day people are getting to know about us. But that's not even the point. We as individuals, we as people, we're not super, there's, nobody knows us. We may not have super ultra amazing talents that are, are recognized around the world. When people, if we were to walk down the street, people wouldn't stop and want to take pictures with us or uh, want to be our friend immediately. We're just, we're just people. We're just average people. Who are we to be, who, are, who do we need to be to be used of God? Do we have to be famous? Do we have to be popular? Do we have to have amazing talents? We don't have to have these things. And when I look at the life of Saul too, the perception on the outside, and you could see this in uh, look in chapter 10, look what the perception was of, of Saul. In chapter 10 in verse 22, once again, this is the only thing talked about in the life of Saul. So now Samuel's come to anoint him king, and he's, they can't find him. Here, right? He's hiding. Verse 22, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. So this is the first time anybody's even, like, you already have a king picked? Like, what's going on here, Samuel? So this guy, I always pictured this, you know, if you made a movie about Saul, the first time he's coming, He's, he's coming from the shadows of the dark alley. Everybody's just waiting. Who, who's our king? Who's our king? And he, you know, has those Hollywood entrances for the smoke, right? And he kind of, there's a slow one. He's, he's walking through. And as he comes out, people looking up. <gasps> Here's this tall, strong, handsome guy that walks through. <gasps> That's a king right there. Like they're looking at him. This is what the Bible says in verse 23. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. It doesn't say, and his character shone through. And people, you know, there's nothing said here. Verse 24, and Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? It's a question mark. Is there anybody like him? Nobody knows who he is. They don't know he didn't, uh, he didn't give a couple speeches before. He wasn't trying to rally for votes. Nobody knows who Saul is. They only see, they only know what they see. And this is what they say. All the people shouted and said, God save the king. <laughs> they don't know who he is. And they go, yeah, yep, that's, that's, our, that's our guy right there. Samuel's probably going, this is what, <laughs> you people need a better leader. <laughs> don't you people know anything? But no, God had orchestrated it. This is how God wanted it to be. God, how, how God knew it would be. And this is the guy that God prepared for the job. From the outside, people look at Saul and say, Oh yeah, yeah, you're going to be fit for a king. And Saul on the inside is crying. <laughs> He's in anguish. He's scared out of his mind. He was just literally running because he knew what was about to happen. And the Bible even says, I skipped the verses, but he didn't tell his parents what happened. 
when they said, hey, you saw Samuel, what happened? Uh, nothing. He just told me the, where the donkeys were. His parents were just as shocked. I wonder if his dad voted for him. <laughs> like he came out and he's king. Everybody else is saying, yeah, yeah, we want him. And his dad's probably going, <laughs> couldn't even find the donkeys, guys. <laughs> you want him to be king? He had to go to the prophet to find the don- guys. Um, I wonder if he had siblings and brothers, you know, what they were thinking. Imagine if Theo walked out from that and people were saying, we want Theo to be your new leader, Dadala would have a different perception, I, I, I imagine. You know, as, I, as I've been looking into this, physical physique and uh, stat heights and those things were a prominent feature amongst leaders back in the day. From the, uh, from the out, it, was, it was usual with the Eastern people and so with the Greeks and Romans to choose people to the highest office of magistrate that had a personable appearance that was superior to others and is what they often took notice of. Uh, Herodias reports of the Ethiopians that they judged the largest of the people and him who had strength according to his size, most worthy to be king. So there was a, a period in Ethiopian history where they would literally just have, uh, you know, if you, if you had a tall, strong young man in your home, he could, he could apply to be a king or to be somebody of prominence. The same writer also observes that many, uh, the, the many thousands of men of the army of Xerxes, that there was not one who for comeliness and largeness was so worthy of the empire as Xerxes himself. You've probably heard the myths of Xerxes uh, so many legends and lures. Some, some uh, people claim he was close to eight feet in height. He was a tall, strong, towering man. We don't have any pictures of him, so we don't really know. Uh, another writer, Ulysses, uh, or sorry, Ulysses is a, um, an ancient Roman myth uh, king. And they say because of his weight was the more acceptable to the people at, his, at their time. Uh, it was also said of Alexander the Great, his captains might thought to be kings for their beautiful form, heights of body, and greatness of strength and wisdom. It's said of Julius Caesar that he was a taller than average person. There are, I have a whole list here, but a lot of these ancient Roman and Greek kings and leaders who were told to have been well over seven feet in height. It's also said that Diana, the, the goddess Diana, uh, was said to have been uh, taller than any of the other uh, goddesses uh, of her era. Once again, it's all mythology here. Uh, but Josephus actually writes of King Solomon and says that uh, Solomon only chose young men to ride the horses around him uh, who, were, who were of uh, larger than average heights and uh, of great strength. Solomon only chose those kinds of men to rally around him. So heights, this is what Israel wanted. They looked around at other nations and, wow, that king, he's so big and tall and strong, that's what we want. God knew what the people were looking for, and God set up Saul. So from the outside, everybody probably was shaking Saul's hand, saying, yeah, you're going to be a great king. You, You got what it takes. And Saul's thinking, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through right now. You, you, you think I, I'm, you know, I may look like the part, but you have no idea what's going on inside of me. 
Sometimes we were walking around and people say things like, wow, you're just, you're such a natural. Or uh, don't worry, you'll do just fine. I, I, can, I can tell that you're going to do great at this. And we're thinking, oh, you can tell? <laughs> you can tell? You think I'm a natural at, at this thing I'm doing? And many times people don't realize all the background things that take place, all the hard work and the tears, the anguish, the, the hours that takes place into accomplishing this one task. Saul was going through a lot right now. And in his, his mind, he was the most improbable person for the, t- for the task at hand. And to be fair, probably was right. But to make matters worse, not only was he an improbable person, we see here in chapter 10, verse 1, that he was now given an improbable task. And we already know what the task is. But in ver- chapter 10, verse 1, This is right now, before he officially becomes king, Samuel is anointing him. He's anointing his head with oil, kissed him, and at this point told Saul, you're going to be a future king. Not only was Saul an improbable person, but he was now given a literal improbable task to become king. I don't think I need to say any more about this. This wasn't becoming king of a small fake monarch made up in a Hallmark movie. Uh, Mrs. Lydia likes watching Hallmark shows and it's always about some random uh, street girl that uh, ends up on some country that doesn't exist, like Genovia is one. Uh, and they, you know, she marries the, the Prince of Genovia and they, they have this monarchy and it's this really small little quaint perfect town with perfect people and perfect snow that always falls at the perfect time. It's this perfect little village and town where uh, and they make up all these things around it, and, and they don't really exist. It's not real. This wasn't a, a, a fake little, you know, kingdom of Genovia somewhere in, a, in, in the desert oasis. This was Israel. <laughs> this was God's chosen people. This was, this is Israel. This is a, a nation that has struck fear in the hearts of lives of people all around the area. This is the people when the two spies went into Jericho. And Rahab, the, the harlot, said, look, you guys don't realize this, but we are terrified of you. They're like, you're Jericho? Yeah, I know we have tall walls around us, but we, pr- we probably built these walls because we heard you were coming. W- believe me, we all know about what you guys did, the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. We- we've heard about the manna. And this is the same Israel that struck fear in the hearts and lives. This is the nation. This is who this young guy was about to rule and reign over. Yeah, it was an improbable task. We look at Saul, and then we look at us sometimes. God sometimes gives us a task that seems improbable to us. He gives us things in life, and we're thinking, God, you got the wrong person. And not only that, but you gave me the wrong task. Lord, I know you don't make mistakes, but if, if I had to point a finger at one possibly you made, it's me right here. I'm not supposed to be here, Lord. I know you've asked me to do this. Maybe it's a pastor or teacher, or be a missionary or an evangelist, or maybe it's just a, a specific little task, you know, uh, to, to lead this ministry or to do this task or to do this project or to read these books or whatever the task may be in our life. We've all come to a point where sometimes we think, Lord, I think you gave me the wrong task. I, I, I'm not fit for this. I don't have what it takes. And even if it's something secular, you're going to a university, you're studying in this field, and you know you're where the Lord wants you to be, but you feel overwhelmed at times. You feel like, wow, Lord, I don't, I don't think I have 
what it takes. Have you ever felt like you were given an improbable task? Or maybe you, were, you weren't the right person for the job. You feel like the Lord may have been directing you somewhere, but it, just, it doesn't fit, Lord. I don't have what it takes. And to be fair, that's actually where you should be mentally. You should be in a state where if God puts you somewhere, the best place to be is where you look up to God and say, God, I can't do this. I can't. In fact, God likes to put us in situations just above our own ability. He gives us a task to do, and then he says, now I need you to jump a little bit higher. Lord, I can't jump that high, but I want you to try. Lord, you don't understand. Like, I couldn't even make it over that wall. Do you want me to jump over this one? And God says, no, don't worry. Just jump, and I'll, I'll pull you up. God likes to put us, put us in situations that are just above our comfort zone, just out of our physical reach, so that he can show himself strong. Because Saul was an improbable person, and he had an improbable task. But now we come to verse 9 in chapter 10. Saul was now given an, improb- an improbable ability. Look in verse 10. That's chapter 10, verse 9. So Saul has just been given the kingdom. And verse 9 now. And it came to, and it, and it was so, that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Samuel gave Saul a list of things that was going to happen that day. And that's not really the point of this message here for sake of time. But essentially, Samuel was helping Saul realize this is real. This is happening. And you're going to go down the road and this is going to happen. And -and so-and-so is going to have some bread. and, And you're going to end up prophesying with uh, other priests that are going to walk down the street. And Samuel just lays out the rest of the day for Saul. And one by one, everything happens that day. Everything that Samuel said would happen, happens. Saul now, beginning to realize this is a, a real thing, doesn't even realize, perhaps, that God was already adjusting his abilities to match the task that God was about to give him. <laughs> Becoming king of Israel, that's, uh, none of us can compare it to that task. No one, God has never asked us to do something of that degree. But we've all had tasks given to us that were difficult for us. But God will never give you something that he won't give you the ability to accomplish. He won't trick you. He's, his goal isn't to go, ha, ha, ha. And while you're down, he's, his goal isn't to kick you while you're down, to throw dirt on you. God wants you to succeed but he wants you to succeed through his power. And Saul probably walked away from Samuel going, is this real? What's happening? And as he's walking down the steps to go back to his his servant friend, God was already adjusting his heart, changing his, his heart to be able to accomplish this improbable task. Did Saul have what it took to be a king? No, he did not. If he did, God would not have needed to give him another heart. Because it says in verse 9 that God gave him another heart. He wouldn't have had to do that if he was already fit for the job. Samuel, Saul was not fit for the job. Saul needed to accomplish this improbable task 
and he needed some supernatural ability. And he got it. Boy, did he get it. And verses 10 and 11, he starts prophesying. In verse 11, people are looking at Saul thinking, who is this guy? I thought he was the son of Kish. Is he now among the prophets? He, God changed his heart so much so that people didn't even recognize who Saul was anymore. They were confused. That's not the Saul I, re- I remember. Who is this guy? It may not always happen as fast as it did for Saul. But if you were to look back at even just my life, when God called me to be into, into full-time service, of course, at that time I was 13, so of course there's going to be some change in my life, I hope. Not in heights, but in the other things. This is the opposite of Saul, <laughs> in height. But we have, at least Saul had height going for him. I didn't even have that. But you look at someone, uh, even when I was about 20 years old, I recommitted my life to missions. And I said, Lord, that's exactly, I know for sure. I had some doubt in my life, my first year of Bible college. But by my junior year during a missions conference, I, I resurrendered and I gave my life back to the Lord. And if you were to look at who I was then, not even just physically, but who I was on the inside as a 20-year-old compared to today, you would see, at least I see, a a slow changing of my heart. God giving me this and giving me this, and courage to do this, and courage, that's probably all I needed was just courage, courage to step up out of my comfort zone, courage to move to Canada. And I have so much more to learn, so much more. But God has just given me a little bit here, a little bit there to be able to accomplish the small tasks that God has given me along the way. And you may not walk out of this room today and your heart's changed immediately like it seemed to have happened to Saul. But if you faithfully trust in God with whatever tasks he's he's given you and you keep stepping towards that goal, God will always give you the ability to accomplish it. He will give you a new heart, a heart needed to do so. What kind of improbable tasks have God, has God laid before you today? Maybe, right now, life is pretty easy. Maybe you're just going to school and you already know what's going to happen next and you're not really too worried yet. Well, I can guarantee you, you keep serving God, God's going to lay a task in your lap that you're gonna, that's going to jar your comfort zone. It's going to make you want to uh, take a step back or change or, or even quit, perhaps. God's going to give you something that's going to stretch you and, and make, you, make you a better person, but also make you rely on him even more for ability. And I love this last part that happened to Saul. Because not only was Saul an improbable person, not only was he given an improbable task, and not only was he given an improbable ability to do what he needed to do, but lastly, God gave him an improbable team. A team. Look in ver- we're in chapter 10. Look in verse 26. So Saul just got word that Jabesh Gilead, the people of Jabesh Gilead, were in big trouble. They needed help. And this all took place before Saul has officially even become king. They found out that some guy, the Ammonites, were going to come and pluck out their eyes. So they cried out for help, and Saul, had not even fully king yet, rallies the people. Verse 26, And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him 
a band of men whose hearts God had touched. Now, if you read verse 27, there were some people who didn't like Saul. The children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him. They didn't bring him any presents, but he held his peace. Because in verse 26, here's a guy, Saul, who doesn't know anybody. Nobody knows him. He's given an improbable task. He has no idea what he's supposed to do. But God gives him this courage. He gives him this ability to rally the people. And not just that, but in verse 26, God specifically gives Saul a band of men whose hearts God had touched. You see, oftentimes we are given tasks that we cannot do by ourselves. Some people like to work alone. It's easier, right? And there are certain tasks where it's given to me and and uh, I have people maybe at my disposal that would help, but it's just, it's just so much easier to do it myself. It's a little bit more work, but if I don't have to worry about going to this person or that person, I could just do it myself. But there are some tasks in life that require a team, that require help. And God gave this to Saul. An overwhelmed Saul now gets a special undeserved blessing from the Lord. And God likes to do that sometimes. Give us an extra blessing if we serve him. Saul is young, he's naive, he's inexperienced, he's raw, whatever adjective you want to put there. But he pulls off this amazing act of valor and integrity in saving the lives of the people of Jabesh Gilead. And like I said, for sake of time, we don't have time to go into the whole story. But he rallies the people together. They follow Saul. Saul of chapter 11 goes in and easily defeats the Ammonites and saves the people of Jabesh Gilead. And at that moment in time, the people are saying, this is our guy. I, I knew it. I could just tell by looking at him, he had what it took. This was the guy. And chapter 11, we see Saul becoming king, officially becoming crowned king. Sure, he made some enemies, as we all do when we serve the Lord. There's always going to be men of Belial after us. But when God calls you to do something for him, he will always give you the tools and the team you need to accomplish his will. Can the king be a king all by himself? No way. Can a pastor be a pastor all by himself? Maybe a pastor of five or ten people, maybe. But I mean, you, the, the larger, to make a difference in our world, we, there has to be a team. Saul could not have been Saul without a band of men whose hearts were in tune with him, who were just willing to do whatever he said. Now, typically, a guy like Saul would have needed maybe several months, several years to gain the trust of his men. King David, when he became king, as soon as he stepped into the throne, he had been working with Saul. He had been on the front lines of battle. He had already been in war. By the time David was anointed king, he already had a whole mass of people who were following David. It was a much easier transition. I mean, he was running and he was almost killed and all that. wouldn't say it was easy. But he already had men behind him. Saul had nobody. So God made sure it would appear overnight. A whole band of people just put their full trust in Saul being their king. That's improbable. It doesn't make sense. Nobody would just give their heart to somebody they just met and be willing to die for them unless God intervened. Because Saul was, this was Saul's job. And this is what Saul was to do. And God was going to make sure he was going to do it. 
I end with this verse in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26. Jesus is speaking here and he says to his disciples, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The context here is salvation and uh, a rich man, eye of a needle, the camel, that's the context, but the definition is the same for all. With men, sometimes things are impossible, but through God, all things can be possible. All things are possible. God calling our family from California to the Arctic is, in my mind, still improbable. Why would he call a family from a hot, sunny, warm weather place where we'd never really ever been to the snow? Why would God call a family like us to the Arctic well, we didn't know why. It seemed, it seemed ridiculous and crazy to us. But he equipped my father, especially my father. He equipped him. He gave him what he needed. He gave him a team around him. He gave him the ability to be able to quit his job and to travel and to get up there. He equipped my father to be that kind of a person, somebody that my dad wasn't. And he allowed him to be who he needed to be. Don't let situations circumstances, lack of ability, stop us from doing what God wants us to do. And that is a challenge. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.